Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Sunday morning, the day after the grand final. Now, I'm curious. My name's Alex First. This is First on Film and Entertainment. Entertainment bonanza yesterday. As I say, I'm curious because we've got two people who couldn't give a tinker's cuss. Peter Krauss, good morning. Did you good morning. Were you aware that we've actually had a public holiday celebrating the grand final? Then we've had the grand final, and now it's the day after the night before or the afternoon before. I was too busy watching a whole range of films. Now, Peter, honestly, have you ever watched a grand final live? No. Why? I mean, you, you're born, I believe you're born in Melbourne, correct? Correct. How could you have avoided football for 93 years? Just lucky, I guess. 93 years? Well, I mean, <laughs> you're an age, aged pensioner. I mean, we get this. So, I mean, this is the town for AFL football. I just don't get it. Jackie Hamilton, you participate in sport. You love your sport, correct? There's certain types of sport, Alex. Uh, could you be at least a little bit enthusiastic? I mean, just up the... I'm very enthusiastic about the sports that I like, but it's not compulsory and we don't have to like what you like. It's not about what I like. It's about what... Why are we even talking about sport on a film and entertainment program, as I say every week? Because (laughs) it's entertaining. And I'm trying to to embrace what Melbourne has, has brought to us over the past few days. It's been extraordinary. Really fantastic. The only thing is, did you watch the TV pictures, Jackie, of the flotation devices in the middle of the Yarra? Oh, yes, yes. That, that where people couldn't even see their sports yes. heroes, that they'd got there at 5.30 a.m. and um, travelled from the country and didn't even get to see them. Yes. What, what a mess that was, eh? Yes, there was resounding criticism. Even you, Peter Kras, do you actually watch the news or do you not watch the news either? Uh, hardly ever watch it, and I'm wondering why they didn't just parachute in all the players. Well, no, no, they went to the MCG after that, so people could see them and there were interviews and so forth. I mean, media interviews were done in, in a very public way, so that was great. I mean, I think it's it's great that Melbourne has the grand final back after two years where we've been in the wilderness with COVID, et cetera. Congratulations to the other states, of course. They did an excellent job. But the MCG, 100,000 throbbing fans, magnificent. Couldn't get better than that. I tell you what, talking about non-entertainment, I know this is an entertainment program, but what happened during the week? Oh, boy. I mean, um, the Essendon drug saga was the worst football story I can recall. And the allegations here, and they're only allegations, so we've got to make sure that we're clear about that. They have really rocked football. And, Jackie, you wouldn't have avoided that. Surely you, you, you've you followed the story a little bit. Uh, yes, I followed the news, Alex. Yes, of course. So, I mean, it's it's deeply concerning. The, the undercurrent to all of this, I suppose, regardless of the fact that this is proven or not proven, it should be the other way around, not proven or proven, the undercurrent to all this is rather nasty because we're talking about racism. We are talking about beyond racism. We're talking about people being told what to do, how to do it, 
how to live their private lives, the allegations surround that. And that, to me, is deeply concerning, as I dare say, it should be for everybody. Should it not, Jackie? Well, they should be nurturing these young uh, sports people, not abusing them. If or the, if the allegations are in fact correct, yeah, it's again that nothing's been proven, so we've got to be very very careful in terms of how we speak about it. Having said that, if you're a young person, and I, I'm I'm sort of trying to play even handed here, if you're a young person and you're brought into an environment where professionalism is demanded, and I'm not talking about telling you how to live your life privately but I'm saying where professionalism is demanded. Often what happens when, and imagine this in any sport, you've played it at one level and then you go to the professional level and the expectation upon you is far greater in terms of what you eat, the, you know, that, that's reasonable, I, I reckon, and, and the fitness regime that you follow. But what isn't reasonable is if they're telling you who you can see, who you can't see, and they're making it clear that if you can't see somebody, then you're basically off the team. Which Well, Alex, I don't even think all of that is reasonable because we see um, areas of abuse and alleged abuse mm. in all elite sports, whether it's swimming and swimming coaches, uh, whether it's even gymnastics in more recent times. We've seen uh, some allegations and some very serious allegations coming out there. There, there isn't a sport that is pure um, and devoid of, of this kind of pressure and taking young people down the wrong path. Well, we don't know We don't know that, but there are a lot of sports that have unfortunately succumbed to various forms of bullying or whatever it might be, and, and that's, that's clearly wrong. Mind you, Peter, this is, you know, sporting fraternity is one, the film industry is another. I mean, there's been so, all sorts of sexist, allegations, there's been bullying, there's been far worse than that. So, you know, the film industry stands uh, accused at the same time, does it not? Oh, absolutely. Look, it's in all forms of industry and in work. Uh, bullying occurs. I mean, look at Harvey Weinstein being a very good example, etc. Look, wherever money is involved, wherever power and control is involved, and that's not just in sport but in entertainment industry, everywhere else, then you're going to get some people who will abuse the system. With the, with the football uh, allegations, I just wanted to mention um, that that it seems strange that all of these allegations came out in the week uh, just before the grand final. And I must say, obviously, this will be investigated and uh, etc. But I'm just very suspicious about these allegations and about ordering Indigenous players to not see non-Indigenous partners. I mean, surely we're not in, in, in the 19th century. Well, this is why everybody was horrified. Everybody was horrified. And, you know, the people who the allegations have been made against have vehemently denied that they did what they're accused of doing. So this is where natural justice has to take place. Having said that, the report was apparently sent to Hawthorne a week earlier. And one thing I never understood was why we waited several days until the story broke by virtue of an ABC Walkley, is he a Walkley Award winning? He's certainly an award winning journalist. Why we waited to find out until then, and if it hadn't been released by that journalist, 
would we have found out? And this is where, you know, I suppose, and this is not about a whistleblower, but this is where I believe whistleblowers and journalists are critically important because, you know, this this can't be allowed to be swept under the carpet, and obviously it isn't now that it's been exposed, but too often whistleblowers are pilloried for coming forward with information, are they not, Peter? No, absolutely right. And uh, whistleblowers are very important, as is the media, in revealing all sorts of things. But I think we should wait for this investigation Correct. to occur. We, we and, and that's exactly what I've been saying right along. It, it's also interesting because we're, we're now, uh, the, the official period of mourning for the passing of the Queen has now finished. And again, a great deal of reverence. And I, I, I don't know whether you guys did, but I watched the the service uh, when we had the public holiday, and I thought it was really, really well handled. Uh, the the compare Melissa Doyle did an, an excellent job, and the speakers also were were quite well, not just profound, but they 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 said the right things. One of the things that's come out of this, though, again, which I find very, very tacky, is the behaviour of Meghan Markle in particular has been scrutinised to within an inch of her life. Uh, what she said, what she didn't say, how she looked, all of that, I find that very, very uncomfortable, Peter. We're talking about the film industry. Well, you know, she's on public show, but, I mean, it, it seems that she's been treated worse than other people just because people don't seem to like her. Exactly, and and uh, she is very much a public figure, and uh, uh, yes, yeah, she's a target. Uh, it's it's incredible the way uh, certain people and the media, etc., target particular people and watch their every movement for as if it's so relevant to so many people, and it's not. I have to say though, this whole coverage um, mm. has been somewhat excessive. But you uh, said last week, I mean. It- we knew that there was going to be this 10-day period, which was extending to a couple of weeks because of Australia, et cetera. So there, there was no question that uh, this is, this is an, un, an incredibly unusual event. It's not happened in our lifetime before. So, and, and the pomp and ceremony are what the British do extremely well. And it was reverential. It was respectable, I thought. You, you didn't think that? Well, yes, but it was on so many television channels, and I, I just felt that the whole thing is was overblown to the extreme. And again, I, I make the point that I made last week: maybe it's time we started talking about uh, cutting the ties. Oh, look, I, the, the conversation was had a, a little bit this week, and the the support for it seems to have dissipated since we had the vote. So. I, I, I suspect it's going to be quite some time before the tables are turned. Jackie, do you uh, d- did you think the coverage? Did you watch the Australian coverage or not? N- oh, not not a lot. I saw. You didn't saw, saw a catch up, Alex. Yes. Yeah, but you, you, you didn't actually watch the service on Thursday. No. No. I, I just saw bits and pieces. Ten minutes here and there was enough for me. Yeah. The, the other, by the way, did you read the story in? I think it was Saturday's Age about Grace Tame. Have you? Did you read that or not, Jackie? Uh, no, no. No, it was very interesting because it was a an intensive piece about her whole life. She's about to release a book on her life, which is, as you can imagine, no holds barred. Now, again, she's a very, very divisive character. I've got a lot of respect for what. She has, what she says, how she says it, why she says it, 
especially given the, the background that obviously has been detailed. And it, it's interesting how it people people like Grace Tame, who speaks her mind, polarise others. And, Peter, that, that I, I just think if you want to speak your mind and you want to be true to yourself the way she is, why should she be pilloried for doing so? Because we have a, a lot of conservative people in the media and elsewhere who uh, are very traditional and very, um, uh, I suppose, conservative in their views that people shouldn't uh, say things publicly or shouldn't be seen to be uh, different from the norm, and that goes back so many years that uh, we have a culture that uh, doesn't necessarily reward anyone who is different. Well, if I dovetail this towards something that is within your belly wick, and that is movies, if you look at the movie that Florence Pugh is in that we're going to be seeing soon, you know the hullabaloo that's that's gone on there between her and the director of the movie, and that's overshadowed the release of the film. Now, is that good for a movie? Because basically you've got the star of the movie and the director not being seen in the same frame because that apparently they're fighting. Is that good for promotion or not? Oh, any publicity is good publicity. I'm sure that people will flock to the film to uh, to see what this uh, whole uh, issue is all about. I mean, you're obviously aware of what I'm talking about, aren't you? Uh, is that about uh, uh, Don't Worry Darling or whatever? Yeah, or? It's about Don't Worry Darling, yes. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, there's been publicity for weeks leading up to it. I think we're, we're seeing it next week, aren't we? So, yeah. I mean. We'll be able to judge the film on the film, not not about the histrionics that surround it, which is a good thing. Talking about people who are not conservative, this week on Jaya, we should be talking about this, Avatar has been re-released. Now, why has it been re-released? It's been re-released because December 15, we are seeing the sequel, which is Avatar The Way of Water. It is one of supposedly four sequels over the next umpteen years. I think they're going to be released this year in 2024, 26 and 28. So five films in the canon. I was just looking at the work of James Cameron. What a remarkable filmmaker he is. And when you think about the body of his work, you go back to Titanic, you go back to The Terminator, you, you think about what he's achieved. There are few, if any, I, I, the only one I can think of would be Steven Spielberg, who would be akin to James Cameron. Is there anybody else, Peter, that you can think of? Uh, not uh, that immediately comes to mind, no. Yeah, I mean, look, did, have you, did you, you saw the, the, uh, the re-release of it the other day, didn't you, Peter? Uh, I, I did see it uh, elsewhere, but, yes, I oh, have seen the re-release, yes. And, Jackie, did you, have you seen it again or did you just saw it originally in 2009? No, I've, I've seen it 2000. I, I, I'm sure I've seen it since 2009, but I can't quite work out how I have, but I might have been to a retrospective or something like that. Yep. Well, it's a very long film. I mean, it's two hours and 40 it's nearly three, yeah. Two hours, 40, 44 minutes. Rated M, and I've got to say 13 years on, it, it may be difficult if you haven't seen it in that time to recall just how spectacular and magical a movie Avatar is. And I, I saw it as a real privilege to see it again in 3D, it was jam-packed for the media preview. The technology remains wondrous. I mean, it won three Oscars, including one for visual effects. The theme, protecting natural environment, not encroaching on native lands, is more relevant than ever. So 
he raised the bar, the filmmaking bar, James Cameron, when he made Avatar. Not surprisingly, I remember this, he, he called it his most challenging work. Absolutely. So for those people who have been born under a rock and haven't seen it, uh, I'm going to go into a little bit of detail about the plot and then we can talk about it again. The central figure is Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington. He's a soldier who's lost his legs. He rises to become a hero, and this is a sort of epic adventure and love story. He's drawn deeper and deeper into a clash of civilizations. So we enter an alien world through the eyes of Jake Sully, and he's a former Marine confined to a wheelchair, but despite his broken body, he's still a warrior at heart. And he's recruited to travel light years to the human outpost of Pandora. And that's where a corporate consortium is mining a rare mineral that's the key to solving Earth's energy crisis. Because Pandora's atmosphere is toxic, they've created what's called the Avatar Program. So human drivers have their consciousness linked to an avatar, a remotely controlled biological body that can survive in the lethal air on Pandora. These avatars are genetically engineered hybrids of human DNA mixed with the DNA from the natives of Pandora, the Navi. So it is that reborn in his avatar form, Sully, Sam Worthington's character, can walk again. And he's given a mission to infiltrate the Navi have become a major obstacle to mining the precious ore that I spoke about. But the more he learns about the Navi, the more his understanding of a world previously beyond his imagination takes hold of him. All of this leads to the ultimate showdown in which the human and alien worlds come face to face. Going back to James Cameron, he dreamt of creating a film like this since he was a child, reading sort of pulp fiction science fiction and comic books by the truckload. He was not interested in using makeup to create his alien species. So through the computer-generated characters in Avatar, though they resemble the actors who play them, their fundamental proportions are different. So the Navi eyes, they're twice the diameter of human eyes, and they're spaced further apart. The Navi, they're much leaner than humans are. They've got longer necks, they've got tails, which to the best of my knowledge, most of us do not have. They have different bone and muscle structures, including three-fingered hands. So I've got to say, while the outcome may be as one would anticipate, so I'm talking about the storyline, I still thought the journey was quite a remarkable one, and I run out of superlatives to describe what Cameron and his filmmaking maestros have actually achieved by making Avatar. What about you, Peter? Look, as a visual spectacle, uh, yeah. Avatar is uh, quite superbly done. But seeing it again, uh, it reminded me of how facile the storyline was. And I was probably one of the few critics that was not so enamoured by the film. I felt it was much more style over substance. And then when it was originally released uh, using 3D to no great effect, uh, I thought, uh, and now being re-released in... Uh, Yep. Did you, uh, did you see this uh, the re-released version in 3D as well? Yes. Yeah, I, uh, I thought the 3D worked very well. 
look, it it's again, it's style over substance. It's uh, it it looks quite effective, but the storyline, the environmental storyline, I thought was rather facile and uh, uh, and but too it's obviously it's developed. It's uh, and today, Peter, that it, it was relevant then. It's still relevant now. That I mean, climate uh, change is being talked about on a daily basis. But it's all done in a very superficial sort of way. The, the, the main thing I remember about Avatar uh, is Sigourney Weaver's chain smoking. And it was so funny to uh, to see it on the, its re-release. And then I read that uh, all of that uh, cigarette smoking was CGI created. So she, she, was, she never had a cigarette in her hand in the first place. Well, I'm gratified but, to hear that. Yeah. I, I, okay. So, sorry, keep going. You, so you, you really... You you didn't think any more of the re-release than you did of the original? Is that what you're saying to me? That's exactly what I'm saying. I thought it was a stylish film. Uh, I, I think it's very superficial. The substance of the story uh, is just too obvious and, and uh, um, too facile to be of any great uh, interest and excitement for me. Uh, and I've seen much, much better films that have dealt with some of these issues uh, without going into the spectacle. So if you're looking for a good spectacle uh, spectacle uh, in terms of Avatar, then I'm sure audiences will enjoy it. But for me, it's a bloated um, and uh, overdone film and overrated, I think. What do you recollect about it, Jackie? I mean, you haven't seen it in recent years, so tell me what your recollection is. Wow, I, I, I think Peter is very harsh because my recollection of the film is very strong because it was so innovative and, as Peter said, a spectacle. But gosh, what a spectacle! It was. Uh, it 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 could be said to be a novelty value because, except that I, no, I don't. I'm going to take that back. I'll retract because it's got so it's got sequels coming up. Obviously, it wasn't just a novelty value. It was new in so many ways, and that seems to have. Um, uh, it seems to prove the point by the fact that it can sustain sequels coming up. I thought the the visuals of it and the the music and the newness, the 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 um, the action, the look of it, the the changes, the environment, the uh, were, were enough without having to have a mind blowing story as well, perhaps. Mm, I mean, I totally agree with you. And you let let's just go into the performances a little bit. I reckon Sam Worthington did a really fine job as the disabled marine with a strong sense of conscience, Jackie. Well, the the I think the CGI aspects of it were the stronger <laughs> the stronger yeah. side yeah. of it. Uh, but I don't I I don't mind watching Sam Worthington do his bit. Yeah, <laughs> Peter. What, what, <laughs> what, seriously, did you not think that Sam Worthington played his role well? Well, he was put into the role because they want uh, Cameron wanted an unknown actor yeah. uh, to portray. So he's a pretty much a cipher in terms of the the character he plays and uh, and his uh, attraction to Zoe Saldana and etc. Um, look, he, he did a reasonable job, but, but I don't think acting is what I would say the film's strong point is really about. Sigourney Weaver, she brought attitude to the role of his instructor, fellow pod traveller, Dr. Grace Augustine. I mean, she, she she made a mark. 
She, well, she made a smoky mark, but but I was really disappointed because it was such a an obvious representation of a, a ridiculous scientist who uh, who wanted to conquer um, these people. It, I'm sorry, the storyline just doesn't make a huge well, amount of sense to me. I think it makes a lot of sense, and as the voice of Sully's Navi warrior and love interest, Zoe Zaldana. She's got bite. She's got spark. Michelle Rodriguez as well, spirited as as an ace fighter pilot. Stephen Lang, wow, intense arrogance and entitlement as the gung ho colonel. And and then you know he's basically out to clear Navi territory at all costs so troops can access the precious metal the humans are after. And then you've got Giovanni Rabisi, the the sort of intensive, insensitive rather mission head. Uh, Parker Selfridge. So they're the key characters there. I reckon it's well worth seeing again in 3D on the biggest screen possible and obviously re-releasing what I consider to be a masterpiece of, of filmmaking also helps build the anticipation leading to the premiere of the sequel we spoke about, Avatar The Way of Water, on the 15th of December. So Let's get a score out of 10. Jackie, yours will be re- a recollection, but uh, Peter, you've just seen it, so what do you reckon? Uh, look, I think it's it's a great spectacle. It's very well directed in so far as the look of the film. I just wish the uh, the storyline was much more significant. Uh, I give it six out of ten. Wow, <gasps> that, that's Gosh. just it shocks me. May, may I add a sidebar? You were talking initially about James Cameron being, yes. you know, a, a, a leading director. Uh, I accidentally discovered a. TV series that he hosts on science fiction films. And he has like a chat with, and I've looked it up on Google, um, Ridley Scott, Christopher Nolan, uh, George Lucas, Christopher Lloyd. I mean, these are big names. If you can imagine these um, titans, if you like, of uh, directing of the film industry chatting and the places they went in there, or the places they go, because these um, this series is still accessible, on in discussion is phenomenal. And this is coming from me, who is not a sci-fi fan at all, but the concepts and how they come up with ideas and where it can roam to in imagination and real life and how you can connect just blew me away. He's a highly intelligent and... You know, very, very creative, imaginative man, and I just really recommend this. It's called James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction. Mm. If you can find this, um, these little half-hour episodes somewhere. How many of them are there, Jackie? Or is it ongoing? Uh, I think there are six. I think so. It's you know that six covers it pretty well, but it's uh, they're fabulous. Yeah. Score out of ten. For those or for no um, Avatar. Avatar. Oh, a good nine. Mm, I'm giving it an eight and a half. So, yeah, there we go. Peter, you're the odd man out. We've said that for a long time. (laughs) Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. 
This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Uh, Let's go to a documentary which, oh boy, I knew nothing about this person and I looked at it and I thought, oh my golly, why haven't I heard about this woman before? It's called Clean and it's MA rated, runs for 92 minutes. Her name is Sandra Pankhurst. I'm going to be deliberately circumspect in terms of what I tell you because I want people to see this virtually knowing very little. And so I'm I'm going to choose my words carefully. Remarkable woman whose life hardly follows a conventional path. She founded a successful trauma cleaning business. Yes, indeed. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. She's also very much a straight shooter and she's a no-holds-barred public speaker. That kind of makes sense. The documentary starts by outlining the work undertaken by her conscientious employees of the trauma cleaning business. And you've got to have a strong constitution to do what they do. It's certainly not everybody's cup of tea. Blood, guts, vomit, used syringes, rodents, mould, rubbish, that's the stock in trade. So they clean up the mess after police have done their work at crime scenes. Hoarders, those unable to help themselves, also lead to regular jobs for Sandra Pankhurst's company. The director is Lachlan McLeod. He focuses on the attitude that Pankhurst has to her work and to her life. So she's an open book. What she brings to the fore, nothing short of revelatory. We learn her backstory her own trauma, what made her who she is. Uh, Suffice to say that her life experiences have been many and varied. And I don't want to say too much more for fear of spoiling the shocks, the surprises of which there are many. And you've got interviews with the woman, Sandra Pankhurst, along with the thoughts of her employees and clients of her firm. And what struck me most was their humanity. Pankhurst, believed to be in her late 60s, and her team genuinely care about other people. And I'll paraphrase one. All of us are only a heartbeat away from where some featured in this documentary find themselves. So I found it enthralling. I found it insightful. What about you, Jackie? I was completely um, hypnotised by this documentary, which shall we say, is set basically in the streets of Melbourne or in the houses in the streets of Melbourne. So it's very close to home. But you could imagine it really translating to any city or town, for that matter, where people, and and I think you, uh, from my recollection, you just had one little error in that quote that we are, in fact, one or two bad decisions away from um, being this rather than a heartbeat. Yeah, I, um, I, I paraphrased it, so I still say. I mean, right. no difference whether it's a, whether it's a decision. Uh, that's that to me is a heartbeat away, right? If you make a bad decision, it's a heartbeat away. It was my summation of of what was being said. Fair enough. They did nominate, you know, it could be trauma or losing your job or a mental illness or an accident or, you know, any one of a number of causes. But 
I'm with you. It's it's almost like there are three parts to this documentary. Mm. One is the story of Sandra Pankhurst herself, which is mind-blowing in what she has gone through that is specified and is surprise upon surprise as we go through the documentary. The second part is the people who are being helped by the Specialised Trauma Cleaning Services company set up by Sandra, who are usually through no fault of their own in such trying circumstances and unable to cope, basically, or the situation of cleaning after those terrible circumstances of murder, suicide, etc., And the third part is, as you say, the workers themselves who were hired by the company to do what she called, what Sandra calls, the shitty jobs nobody wants to do. Um, And these people who deal with the most horrendous, and it's quite graphic, some of it's quite graphic on the screen, they are heart of gold genuine heroes. You put your footballers aside and call these people heroes because they're dealing with this awful circumstance but with humour and with empathy and with warmth and with kindness and non-judgmental about the people they're having day-to-day contact with and in their homes and working with them. And I, I just felt these people are you know, they're the ones who need the medals. They're fantastic. They do not judge. They they just muck in, they clean. That's what they do. And, look, it's it lifts the lid on a side of life many would rather choose to turn a blind eye to. Uh, there's never a dull moment. The, the, the documentary moves along at pace. It, it's this unfiltered character study, essentially, of a special human being and the way she's navig- navigated the vicissitudes that have come her way. I, I'm all the richer for having seen it, Jackie. Do you agree? Yes, and she draws those workers in with with respect for them too, with things to do with, for example, safety, which is yeah. always it's, it's not just a COVID thing with them. A safety issue for their own health um, is clearly being a priority with all the work that they do. So that's a that's that's a very big thing. But this she draws in this need for compassion and dignity and respect and positivity and they are a family Mm, in a way because most of those workers have come through to this point because they they have empathy because they have been through traumas themselves and so they are they bind together into this family and there's a layer of a sense of humor across it all that brings them you know, together. So, yep, very much so. It's great. Yeah, MA, MA rated for very good reason, 92 minutes. Peter, did you think as much of it as you, as both Jackie and I did? Oh, look, I think it was a, a very strong documentary dealing with uh, issues, as you say, that are not that well known uh, and some of the graphic uh, sequences of uh, uh, especially, say, crime scenes um, that they have to clean up, um, uh, etc. is just uh, amazing to look at. And her story is really uh, an interesting one in itself. Um, uh, yes, there's a lot to uh, to like and admire about this documentary, um, and it's uh, uh, worth you noting. Be as effusive in your praise as, as Jackie and I are. 
look, I, I think it's it's well done. I have seen a few other documentaries, uh, a couple from the US, that deal with a similar sort of issue. Um, yeah. So uh, I suppose um, this wasn't a, a, a new uh, right. documentary or revelation for me. But nevertheless, it, it, it was good to see it in an Australian context um, and to see these these people who uh, have to look after their health and safety to uh, to to cope with uh, the situations and uh, as uh, Jackie says with a sense of humor etc uh, the film has been nominated for best documentary um, for this year's uh, Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Awards so I, I can see why it has been it is a very strong film uh, yep it's very well done and uh, yes we've been uh, uh, I won't uh, spo- do any spoilers uh, no, either. Don't. No, I won't. Um, so, yes, it, it's definitely worth seeing. Good stuff. Now, give me a score out of 10. You can start because yours will be lower than ours, I suspect. Oh, look, it's a good, strong documentary. Uh, I've seen some uh, other ones that are much better this year, but nevertheless, I like this one, and 7 out of 10. Mm, I, I, I'm going to go much higher. Jackie? Yes, I just want to add one thing. Funnily enough, after I watched this, there is a – TV series called Hoarders. Yes. And it is not based so much on the people who are helping but more on the people who are struggling to maintain their homes in good order and generally have mental health issues. And funnily enough, there was one, an episode on The Night Before Last. And in I, I glanced at it just as a point of comparison with this film Clean, this documentary Clean, because it is basically on the same subject. And I realised how the TV series turns it into a dramatic, confrontational, fractious, um, kind of unpleasant story. And I could see how rich this documentary is compared with something like that. So if someone were a little cautious about seeing the documentary because it happens to have the same subject matter... Mm-hmm. I would say don't hesitate. The documentary Clean is excellent and I'm giving it seven and a half out of ten. Okay, I'm going higher than that. I'm going eight and a half. I thought it was quite extraordinary. I hadn't seen – I didn't have the history that you had, Peter, so I suppose seeing it for the first time. But all, I was just really impressed by Sandra. I thought she was just a remarkable human being and it's a pity that – you know, she had to reach her 60s before we heard more about her. And that, that's kind of when I was watching it. So I thought it was really, really special. Now, Jackie, I, I believe you need to push off because uh, you've got other things on. Am I correct or can you stay on? No, thank you. I'm um, happy to go. And thank you so much for having me and uh, lovely to talk film with you. But, and, and and sport with me. You've actually you contributed a worth of contribution. Thank you. And we'll... We will catch up with Jackie hopefully next week. Peter, you and I can talk about the other movies that were released this week. It's a relatively quiet week, and, in fact, next few weeks are relatively quiet as well. But let's go to a movie that is spectacular-looking, and it's a suspenseful thriller. It's called Fall, and it runs for 107 minutes, M-rated, suspenseful thriller that stretches the bounds of credibility. It benefits some really spectacular cinematography. It really does benefit from that. So, again, like Avatar, I'm going to tell you to see it on the biggest screen that you possibly can. It's about a married couple, Dan, played by Mason Gooding, and Becky Connor, 
Dan and Becky Connor. Becky is played by Grace Caroline Curry, and they're very much into each other, and and they're also into big mountain rock climbing. They share that passion with Becky's best friend, Shiloh Hunter, played by Virginia Gardner. But then tragedy strikes, and unfortunately, Dan dies. 51 weeks on, Becky, the wife or now widow, is still a mess. She's withdrawn from the world. She's taken to the bottle. She's taken to pills. Pleas from her father, James Connor, played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, cannot talk her round to restart her life. Very much mired in what was with Dan. And then the girlfriend, Shiloh, turns up on her doorstep with a challenge to scale a derelict television tower, which is the fourth highest in the United States. The fourth highest, not just tower, but edifice, I think that's what they said in the movie, did they not, Peter? Yes, that's correct. At first, Becky turns her down because she hasn't climbed since that fateful day. Then she has a change of heart. So Shiloh's all gung-ho, capturing the daredevil exploits on social media. She's got quite a following. It's soon clear that the 2,000-foot tower that they're preparing to scale has seen better days. Rust has corroded it. Screws are missing or barely intact. Oblivious, the young women press onwards and upwards. Then the inevitable happens. Becky and Shiloh are in real and imminent danger. They're injured without adequate supplies with patchy mobile reception. And to add to their precarious position, hungry vultures are literally circling. Co-written with Jonathan Frank, directed by Scott Mann, Fall deliberately teases us, Peter. Call it a thrill ride, if you wish. Just when you think that Becky and Shiloh may have found a way out of their predicament, something else derails them. Now, I cannot say that the dialogue is all that inventive, but some of the twists most certainly are as the tension keeps ratcheting up. What did you think of Fall, rated M, 107 minutes? Look, it's a, it's a cleverly done film. The special effects that have been used um, are, are really uh, very clever, well done, uh, very uh, appropriate for the film. I mean, the same team uh, made the film 47 metres below, I think it was called. And, um, and so instead of uh, being trapped uh, to some extent uh, or trying to escape the ocean, uh, here they're trying to uh, get down from, from the tower. Uh, look, if you have a, an edifice complex, then you probably will enjoy this film to give it a, a psychological perspective. Um, and uh, if you have a fear of heights, then I would avoid this film like the plague. Visually, <laughs> it's stunning, isn't it? I mean, on the big screen, it looks amazing. Look, it does. It does. Um, uh, and as I say, the special effects are now so clever that it makes it appear um, that uh, they are in great, great peril uh, throughout most of the film. Um, it's interesting that they used an actual tower that yes. is now derelict um, uh, as part of this film. Uh, so, look, the effects are good. As you say quite rightly, the dialogue is... Uh, typical of uh, these sorts of disaster movies, so to speak. Um, and, uh, yes, we, no spoilers here about what happens at the end. It's Look, it's, it's well produced. 
it's well done but i just felt uh i've seen this so many times before in people being in peril if it's not a shark attacking you if it's not uh, being below the ocean if it's not being too high up um i still have fond memories of the towering inferno yes. well that was, that was one of the first disaster movies that we saw there was that and there was another one around the same time that was what 70s that's my recollection Yes, I mean it was Poseidon Adventure Poseidon in the seventies. That was it. Yes. I think I think it was Poseidon Adventure and then Towering Inferno in that order, was it not? Yes. Be, yes. They were the first two, Peter, that I can remember of this genre. I mean, look, it is visually spectacular. The cinematographer McGregor has done his part to draw us in, hold our attention, making the most of the isolated locales. That's that's part and parcel of what Fall is about. I mean, look, I thought the, the actors, I mean, Grace Caroline Curry and Virginia Gardner, they are the principal too, amiable enough, doing most of the heavy lifting. And and Mason Gooding makes his presence felt in a much smaller uh, role. It, to me, it's aimed at a younger audience, don't you think? Well, yes. I mean, it, it will certainly, uh, thrill seekers will certainly like yeah. this film and uh, younger audiences more likely. Yes, you're right. I mean, look, it may eventually border on the ridiculous, but but it has enough bite to engage. That's kind of how I, I would put it. So, you know, we're talking about expected dialogue and, and so on. But, yeah, I, I think a younger audience in particular will appreciate it and an older audience will appreciate the visuals. So uh, what are you going to give it out of 10? We're talking about the movie Fall. And speaking of bite, watch those vultures. <laughs> I guess Okay. You can never trust them. Yes, that's the nature. The name Vulture says it all. Exactly right. Exactly. Oh, I can just see a spin off movie now um, Attack of the Killer Vultures. Uh, anyway. <laughs> look, they're, they're, I mean, look, again, we, we shouldn't take anything. I, I don't want to pillory vultures because they've obviously got a purpose. So uh, it's just that they, they happen to be um, the nasties or one of the nasties in this one. So there you go. What are you going to give Fall Out of 10? Oh look, it's it, it's okay. Uh, it's no no great shakes for me. I've seen it uh, many times before in these sort of disaster movies. So I give it six out of ten. Yeah, I'm giving it a six out of ten as well. So yeah, I I think uh, it's it's a bigger screen version, if you like, of of films that may if it wasn't as spectacular looking as it is, it may not even have made it to the big screen because the, the names aren't huge. But having said that, I, I think it does deserve a big screen release because of how it looks, and that's fair and reasonable. Having said that, let us turn to a movie called You Won't Be Alone. This was part of MIF. I don't know whether did – you, did you see it at MIF or elsewhere? Uh, elsewhere. Okay. Well, the, the reason I say this is that – the director of the, the the person who's put this together f- featured the his, his film of an age was the opening night feature at Melbourne International Film Festival and yeah. this movie you won't be alone also played there but now it's got a cinematic release so we're in an isolated mountain village in 19th century Macedonia well i dare say most of us would not know a great deal about Macedonia but unless you perhaps may be born in that part of the world. A disfigured witch, Maria, played by Anna Maria Marinka or Marinsa, with sharp pointed fingernails, hovers over a crib in a rural setting. The baby's mother pleads with this witch not to take her infant, at least until she turns 16 years of age. 
the God-fearing woman takes a blood oath to that effect, that if the witch can leave the baby alone, then, you know, that will be a good thing, and then at 16 she can have her way with the, the child. But she then proceeds to lock the child in a large cave to try to protect her, hoping that the witch will not be able to get to her. In time, though, this shape-shifting witch with a bloodlust does indeed get to the teenager. Navina is the name, uh, played by Sarah Klemonska. The witch who feasts on entrails, we're talking both human and animal, turns this youngster into a like being and treats her poorly. Time and again, the young witch, we're talking Navina, tries desperately to escape her fate, but her mentor is forever close. And throughout, the young witch is after only one thing. She wants to be able to experience the simple pleasures of being human, notwithstanding the cruel world that she's been born into. In time, we learn what barbarity turned Maria into the beast that she is, the disfigured witch, intent on vengeance. So it's a highly creative work, you won't be alone, from Australian filmmaker Goran Stalewski, who Peter is making quite a mark for himself, is he not? This is this is a really dark fairy tale. It's dour and it's quite brutal, and it, it speaks to the roles of men and women and the way each conduct themselves, doesn't it? Yeah, it it certainly does, and and it it puts a different spin on the story of witches and humans, uh, if you like, or uh, humanity, and and how the two can interact, which I, I found very very uh, uh, compelling in many respects. I also like the way that the dialogue was paired back. So a lot of it was a, a visual, visceral yeah. experience, um, which which makes it a, an even stronger film. This uh, this was Goran's first film because he made um, his uh, the the opening night film for the Melbourne Film Festival. He made that after uh, he did this one uh, in uh, in his home uh, country, uh, Macedonia. Look, it it is a, a good spin on the whole idea of witches and uh, and how they can affect people in particular ways without polarizing it in su to such an extent that the witches are painted necessarily as totally evil and that uh, humanity can also be partly to blame for creating these sort of witches in the first place. So uh, yes, I was very impressed by the film visually uh, and uh, it's uh, yeah it's, it's quite a powerful film in many respects. Yeah, well, given its historic origins, what the males say goes in this film, the fairer sex is simply expected to take the punishment dished out. I found that really hard to watch. It, it takes time to establish itself. Mm. It is slow burn. It's an art house film for selective tastes. And as you say, with dialogue kept to a minimum, it's often the facial expressions that speak volumes. The heavy lifting is shared between four women, the best known of whom is Numi Rapace, and she plays a, a peasant woman. Production design is critical, I reckon, to this offering, You Won't Be Alone, uh, as is the wild, wide-eyed representation of the young, naive witch, Navina. So be prepared to persist for it, with it because it does make its mark. It's called You Won't Be Alone, rated MA for good reason. It runs for 109 minutes and a score out of 10 from you, Peter. Yes, I especially was impressed by the swirling cinematography, the uh, the use of the camera to uh, to get the audience involved in uh, what is going on. I thought that was very impressive. Look, I, I really liked it. Uh, I give it seven out of ten. 
and I give it a seven out of ten as well, which is uh, so two two out of two, Peter. I'm 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 impressed. <laughs> now let me talk to you before we go. There yep. is a new ballet, the Australian Ballet. This is on until the first of October, and it's it's really it, it's whilst it's ballet, it's also modern dance. I'd, I'd say a combo of the two. Now the second line of Peter a- Allen's iconic anthem, I still call Australia Home contains these words, Peter, from New York to Rio and old London town. You might remember those words. And it then goes on to say, I still call Australia home. Only Rio doesn't feature in the Australian Ballet's three-parter, which is called Instruments of Dance, which I saw on Friday evening with my wife. It's a contemporary triple bill. It features the works of resident choreographers from three of the world's foremost companies overlaying the scores of contemporary composers. So Justin Peck is from New York City Ballet. He makes his Australian debut with Everywhere We Go, which is a nine-part ballet for 25 dancers with memorable nautical costuming. That's 38 minutes in duration. Wayne McGregor from the Royal Ballet sees nine men circle and clash from an initial couple that we see on stage. It's quite a cerebral work titled Obsidian Tear, which opens the program. It's about half an hour. And you've got semi-naked torsos intersecting and colliding, eight sporting derivatives of black costuming and one in red. And finally, you've got Alice Top. This is the second of the programs. Alice Top is the resident choreographer for the Australian Ballet. And she's worked with a commission score from an Australian composer called Briny Marks to create annealing, A-N-N-E-A-L-I-N-G. You've got a cavalcade of striking gold costumes for more than 30 artistes. That's particularly praiseworthy. Not throughout this, there's different things within it, but that is one of the pieces and it, it is quite striking. And again, this piece is about half an hour. So Instruments of Dance is a showcase of ingenuity and creativity agility, athleticism, and emotion abound, which is what you want in ballet. No question about that at all. And I look at it as a fusion of ballet, as I said, and modern dance, something to spread the reach and the appeal of the fine work of the Australian ballet. So you've got from gentle string work to stirring instrumentation, the musical accompaniment is unforgettable. It really is something special. And I like the fact because one of the problems that you have is that if you don't regenerate, then you don't get an audience. And I saw quite a number of younger people at this production, which appealed to me a lot because it means that they can comment on it and send their peers along, et cetera, et cetera. So I commend the Australian Ballet for what they're doing. Look it up and book your tickets. You've got till the first of next month to see it. And it's called Instruments of Dance. There you go, Peter, something to get your teeth into. And can I mention, speaking of getting your teeth into, the Italian Film Festival is on yeah. at the moment. And one of the highlights for me was the superb documentary on Ennio Morricone, a uh, two-and-a-half-hour documentary on his music, his films, his style. Uh, and uh, Giuseppe Tornatore, who directed it, also directed Cinema Paradiso, which uh, oh, oh, features in the film. 
That's, I'm very pleased you mentioned it. Check it out, folks. We've got to go, Peter. So thank you very yep. much for joining me. Check out the Italian Film Festival. By all means, always a highlight of the year. Catch you next week on First on Film and Entertainment.